listening to episode 174 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season two of TNT's The Librarians, and we are in the middle of the political season. And you know what? We haven't ever gotten political on this show, but I got to tell you. Uh Uh-oh. All right, here we go. Colonel Eve Baird, man. I mean, she is clearly the most qualified candidate of Shit, I'd the, the vote for Rebecca Romaine. <laughs> no, no, no. C- Colonel Baird. Sure. That, she gets my vote. Okay. So mine too. Anyway, so how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. All right. Same what? old, same old, keep on, keep it on. Yep. Weather's nice here. Uh, supposed uh, to get okay. warm again tomorrow. Is it? Nice. Mid seventies, I think. Wow. Yep. So Man, this is this is a crazy, crazy fall here. Yeah, weird mid-Atlantic. Not like yeah. we haven't had this before. Sure, sure. So well, I'll take it. Well, I will take it also. And speaking of taking, tonight we're going to take you down a trip to talk about Librarian Season right, I 2. I was really worried about where you're going with that Episode one. 6, titled The Librarians in the Infernal Contract. But... Before we get to that, Wayne and I want to remind you, we'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab, record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment, or just send us a tweet at sci-fi TV rewatch. And we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. Just um, please no more nude pictures. Yes, I know. Really? The wives are getting suspicious. It's, it's really bad. Yeah. All right, so a little bit of sci-fi news, really, librarians news. I I mentioned the titles for the first two episodes of season three uh, a couple podcasts ago. So again, if you think episode titles are spoilerish, duck away for about uh, 30 seconds or so. Because I'm taking my headphones off. Okay, so we've got uh, the first six episodes of season three, and it looks like the episodes are going to run weekly up to and including Christmas night. So Librarians is going up against the big boy. Episode 303 is going to air on December 4th. And it's called The Librarians and the Reunion of Eden. Ah, I put my headphones back on too soon. Hold on. Episode 304, December 11th, Librarians and the Self-Fulfilling Prophecy. 305 on the 18th of December and the Tears of a Clown. And then finally on Christmas evening, episode 306, The Librarians and the Trial of the Triangle. So uh, looking forward to it. It'll be interesting to see how episode 306 does going up against Doctor Who. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, wait, because I literally took my headphones off. So 306 is going to be Christmas Eve? Yeah. They're going to go six straight to Christmas Day. And, you know, then we'll see from there. That's all that's been listed. Well, you know what demographic that, that the librarians is going to kill it on that night? What's that? The demographic of people who used to have BBC America on their cable plan, but upgrade to HD and now no longer have BBC America on their cable plan. Ouch. And so have to wait for Christmas Day to watch the Christmas episode. Ooh, yeah, that's a tough one. So. Yeah, and DirecTV and people who aren't bitter about it too would be the other demographic. Yeah, that's not you, of course. <laughs> not at all. All right, so uh, you want to talk a little bit about Westworld? Yeah. Well, first of all, Dave, I think we need to do a Westworld podcast because I'm really concerned that there aren't any Westworld podcasts. I think last count I counted thirty. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a ton of them, man. Holy cow! 
Like this show is what ten episodes? Is there even going to be a season two? I don't know. Well, I don't know. You know, I was looking at the numbers and I compared them to Game of Thrones. So I looked at Game of Thrones season one, and yeah, they were like around two and a half million per episode. And Westworld's considerably lower than that, about half, around you know one point two five, one point five million. So whether it follows in the footsteps of Game of Thrones, which has grown every year to now where they're doing seven, eight million an episode, remains to be seen. But I think even those numbers are probably good enough for HBO to give it a season two. Well, I, I, I mean, I was wondering if it was even intended to have more than the one season. I'm guessing okay. these days, the the money you invest in shows like that, that, that you don't want to say it's a one-shot deal and then have it go through the roof and have painted yourself into a corner. Sure. So, yeah, you know, we'll see. I, I think fans of a show like Lost are, are, are just loving it. Yeah, right, because you have... You just have no idea what's going on, like the whole time, right? And everything becomes a clue. Yeah. Wait, did you see that shadow when he walked across that <sighs> street there? I mean, stop it there. Yeah, I, yeah. I've been staying away from pretty much everything, but I just saw that one of the. I don't know if 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 I'm allowed to to talk about other podcasts besides Golden Spiral Media. I don't know. Are uh, you under contract or something, Dave? <laughs> well, I am, but I think uh, I have that in my contract. <laughs> you have a, a yeah, non-disclosure agreement or something? I don't know. <laughs> whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, I saw that, was it Jack and Jay, whatever, the guys did Lost? Oh, yeah, sure. They have a Westworld one. So um, so I downloaded download a couple episodes I'll probably listen to tomorrow. But I don't know if I want so because Like today, I was talking to, to our buddy Joe at, at school and um, you know, he dropped a, a theory on me that I guess is pretty active out there in Cyberland, uh, but but because I avoid all that stuff, I didn't hear it. And I was almost like, oh, man, if that I mean, like it's like pretty cool, but if it's if that ends up being what happens, then it's like uh, I, you know, I feel like it's slightly spoilered. Well, you know, or something. Well, see, it's, it almost sounds like you're sort of coming to my defense after uh, a post on our website about uh, you know an article that the showrunners came out with that, that basically said that the fans are getting really close with their theories. Now, a, as it turns out, uh, because uh, Christopher, who's a, a frequent contributor, he's been actually you know back since the Continuum days, and as he points out, it really turns out to be clickbait that the headline does not really accurately describe what's in the story but uh, you know I, like you i try to stay away from everything spoilery and 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 i know i'm probably in the minority and you know that's okay but i have to say if i was caught up because i'm always at least a week behind on on westworld if i was caught up i might be inclined to look at some of the fan theories yeah, I don't know. I, I feel two different ways. About I mean, I remember, um, you know, kind of watching Fringe and listening to the Fringe podcast and all the theories that went out and kind of getting caught up in that and everything. But uh, I don't know. It just seems like nowadays, just like some of the theories are just, they're too accurate almost, you know? Well, um, I think people are getting better. They're they are used to dealing with these kinds of shows, I think. And, sure. and, and I, the problem I have, and I know you have, is that we're trying to keep up with so many shows 
that we don't have time to do rewatches. I mean, look, I used to watch every episode of Lost three times each week. Yeah. Literally. Well, I'm, I, I do go back and watch, uh, rewatch Westworld. Okay. Yeah. But that's the only one. Um, yeah, I think you need to. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you really want to try to figure it out on your own, which I think is half the fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. And, and, and I like that to be in that state of, I just don't know really what's going on at all. You know, like I said, I'm trying to figure it out, trying to guess, but you know, I'm really, uh, really don't know. Yeah. And, and, so. you know, I'm fine with other fans throwing out their theories and suppositions. I just don't want the showrunners doing that. Just, Right, you know, let let the work speak for itself. And, and and again, as Kevin Batchelder pointed out on the website, that's not the way of the world anymore. And and I get that. I guess in one respect, I'm still a dinosaur, but yeah, it is what it is. So, uh, any right. anything specific about the Westworld so far? Well, just like okay, so there is the one thing about the, like the two. All right, so you know they're, they're talking about this thing that happened 30 years ago right right and they don't really mention and then this whole thing with arnold right who's the, this uh the guy who basically created this world and then he died or was he murdered did ford or, do him in sure right because you know bob ford is a you know he's a killer yeah that, that's a good reveal you uh yeah <laughs> came up with on that and and so you know and then you get the man in black who's like chasing something that Arnold left behind, like or what he thinks is some hidden meaning, some you know, some something or other. So it's just really, you know. And then you got like, like I don't know. You see, like like Jeffrey Wright's character, who I can never remember what his name is. You know, Ford when he looks at him, he looks at him like he. It seems like he's very protective of Jeffrey Wright's character. Well, so you are you throwing out there that theory that that Jeffrey Wright's character because I can't remember his name now. See, you made me forget. Is that he? He's actually a host and not yes. human. Yeah, we we were talking about this the other day. Actually, I think. Yeah, because um, they obviously they had that scene where he's uh, talking to his wife. And and I said, well, obviously that they threw that in there to make it seem like he's human, but yet you point out very correctly that with the technology they have here, how easily could they get another host to be his quote unquote wife or whatever, or to uh, manipulate a a telephone conversation or a video conversation? to manufacture that so he thinks it's his wife so you know um i think that theory is is pretty strong just because anthony hopkins treats him so differently and and seems so concerned about him personally you know yeah i I hope that's not true to be honest i I, i'm not sure how i really feel about it i I, my first reaction is i don't like that there's something that just seems wrong about that as a plot point, you know, you want to get into the maze and the meaning of the maze and deeper levels that it's actually a big game that's been going on for 30 years. I, I, that kind of stuff I love. Well, yeah. And, and well, it's just, it's also this closeness between, or this relationship between, uh, you know, Jeffrey, Wright. I should just look up the freaking character's name. <laughs> is, it, is it Bernard? Is Bernard. It? Yes, it is. Whoa. So now that is interesting too. Okay. okay. You taught Brave New World, right? It's been a long time. I don't think I ever taught but, it, but I've read but, it. But okay, so Bernard is like 
the main character, the guy who finds John the Savage, right? Oh. And Ford is like their god, right? They yeah. they worship like like yeah. Like instead of Lord, they say Ford, right? Yeah. Wow. So oh. so there's another kind of level there. Um the Huxleyan kind of level. So anyway, I mean, but this is like kind of what I'm talking about, like all these different things and the possibilities of what, what could be out there. Uh, the story of the two guys, um, was it Will and Logan or something like that? Yeah. Who to me clearly are like the characters that Richard Benjamin and James Brolin played in the movie. Oh yeah, sure. And following their story and everything. It's yeah. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just great. Yeah, just, it's just a, it's a, it's a awesome experience, which I don't get with game. Well, actually, now I do get with Game of Thrones because they're beyond the books. But you know, before, at least I had some notion of what was going to happen and what, who was who and what was what. But uh, um, with Westworld, there's just, it's just completely, it's a brave new world. It is. Right? Yeah, I wrote it down, man. I'm gonna have to pull that off the bookshelf and maybe uh, revisit that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite books, I think. I, I love Brave New World. That's a great one. So, All right, well, that sounds good, but uh, how about we talk about The Librarians? Yeah, that's probably a good idea, okay. now that we're 14 minutes in. All right, so uh, Season 2, Episode 6, The Librarians and the Infernal Contract, written by Paul Guyot and Holly Moyer, who co-wrote Episode 202 and The Broken Staff, directed by our favorite, Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes. Aired November 29th, 2015. Now, we had a couple of really cool guest stars. It's been a few weeks since we had a guest star of this magnitude, right? Mm-hmm. John Delancey. That's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah, John Delancey. Q from Star Trek Next Generation. And, yes. And I guess what I didn't realize is he really only appeared in six episodes, but such an important character in that universe. Yeah, that's because I did IMDb just exactly the same reason to see how many episodes, expecting that it was going to be this laundry list. Yeah, it's just a couple. But the ones he he was in, he was huge. Yeah. You know, like he's like a main character in that. And, and that, I mean, how many seasons did TNG put out? It's like. I want to say maybe six to seven, but I'm not positive. And, and I have said many times, I really have seen a bunch of episodes sporadically around cross season. So I'm by no means an expert. But one thing I have noticed in a lot of episodes I've seen that Q is not in, they're talking about him in the episode. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah. know, his impact, you know, lives on. Yeah. Yeah. The other guest star we had was Michael Truco, who. I'm sure you remember from Castle, right? Detective Deming. Yes. Which yeah. I also found interesting. Deming in Castle, he was Denning. Yeah. In this episode, right? I I was trying like I was trying to figure out which came first. Yeah. Um, probably Castle. Uh, and then, of course, he played Sam Anders in Battlestar Galactica. That one, I. I didn't remember. I mean, like when I saw that he was in BSG, I was like, mm, I'm kind of picturing him, but not so much. Yeah. Well, I definitely remembered, and I think he turned out to be a Cylon, as it turns uh, out. Pretty sure. But anyway, so we've got both of them. They're both awesome, as always. Uh, now, the town of Hawthorne, uh, is it obvious that it's an homage to Nathaniel Hawthorne? Uh I mean, they named it Hawthorne. So <laughs> okay. <that's... laughs> right. And, you know, certainly uh, those of you that 
maybe read something in high school or in college. House of the Seven Gables was certainly one of my favorite, but that you know that dark gothic feel to it. Yeah, not a big Hawthorne fan, but I actually visited the House of Seven Gables. So, oh, nice! And it had seven gables. Yeah, I counted them. Okay. Um, now, one of the other things, and I love that Stone points this out. It's the classic Faustian tale, but of course there's a nice twist in that Sam, even though he's willing to sell his soul to the devil. Now, and again, is he the devil? I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that wasn't because at first, like Jenkins was making a point that he was a devil, not the devil. I was going to say, right. Maybe just an agent of the devil. Right. But that, or they, they don't really take any kind of, you know, theocentric view here at all so i think they're kind of stepping away from acknowledging that there is a central force of evil existing um but that there are like all kinds of other you know but there are multiple forces of evil that right at work and we're going to be playing one of them this week <laughs> now like i said the twist here is that sam is willing to sell his soul to the devil but he really wants to do it not for himself but for the town and I don't know about you, but I believe him. Well, but here's here's the thing. Like, is there such a thing as true altruism, right? Okay. Because, because he, he will get something out of it. Exactly. He'll get respect. He gets prestige. He gets position, power. So it's not like it's just, I mean, yeah, granted, he has, he has noble ideas and he wants to do things, you know, to, to help others, but it's not like he's not getting anything out of it though. Okay. But you know, is that perhaps in part because he's left the military and, and all of those things you just mentioned certainly apply to members of our military, you know, the respect and the power and sure. And that, that perhaps because we learned that he's an old uh, military friend of Eve's and, and it does appear that there maybe was a little bit something romantic between the two. Yeah, I I don't think anything over, but there is definitely some kind of subtext there. Yeah, and, but, because even like the the librarians pick up on it. You know, Jake says, "Is he a friend or a friend friend?" You know, right? And you know, I think we we realize that whatever caused their breakup, it couldn't have been that serious because they seem on you know pretty good terms as they you know sure. as they meet which each is other. why I don't think they were actually ever really romantically involved. Uh, see, I think they were, but. Uh, so now, okay. by the same token, the librarians are kind of put to the test as they've really never been before, and you know they they each recognize the flaw in an individual sacrifice to save the other two, which you know outside of Jones, <laughs> uh, right. you know who, who's generally been about saving himself first, but again, that's not fair because I think in the end he does do the right thing and. I think even here, he kind of takes a step towards permanent status as a librarian because he, he said all along it's kind of a temporary gig for him. Yeah, but I mean, we see when push comes to shove, he always makes the he always goes on the side of commitment. And like I said, in the one future, he was the librarian. That's right? true. That's true. All right. Well, the opening scene, dude, I, I immediately thought of you because to me, and, and again, I'm certainly no expert like you are, but 
this opening scene seemed so much like supernatural. I knew you were going to say it. I was just letting you say it. I was like, oh, I was like, I was shaking with giddiness. Nice. And, and you know, <laughs> the, the young woman crashes her car into a bridge. None of the nearby workmen seem to even notice. Yeah. She runs screaming Which back to her motel room. Ever workman didn't notice a cute girl. Well, that's true. Uh, you'd think the explosion of the car, but maybe not. But right. but she gets back to the motel room, closes the drapes, and then we watch as that hole opens up in the ceiling and sucks her through and leaves the burn marks and and uh, yeah, just very supernaturalist. Uh, yeah, well, especially from the. I mean, we watched the pilot, so sure. You remember when their mother is killed in the pilot? She gets thrown up in the ceiling like that. So well, right, and, and like Star Trek: Next Generation. I mean, I've seen bits of episodes here and there. I mean, I've probably seen you know, I don't know, ten, twelve hours worth, just never consecutively. Right, right. But yeah, it's definitely. And Jonathan Frakes has seen episodes of Supernatural. You know, so he might even be a fan. But uh, no doubt that that. That comes straight out of the, the supernatural textbook. Well, you would think somebody like Jonathan Frakes, who, who obviously uh, is involved with the librarians on more than just a casual basis because he's directed, uh, gosh, it's got to be like five, six episodes at this point, it would, it, at least it seems like, to how, how you wouldn't be interested to see how a show like Supernatural does things. I mean, why wouldn't you study something that's so successful? Sure. And, Absolutely. and it's right up your alley to a, to a large extent because you're a supernatural show. You're just not quite, you know, this heavy all the time. Right. But all right. Well, we mentioned the classic Faustian tale, which is obviously one of the storylines. Uh, but but the first one I want to kind of just talk a little bit about is, I guess, what I'll call Colonel Eve Baird's story, because. I mean, while it certainly wasn't all about her by any stretch, there there is a lot about her, and and you know, so right away, I think we could call this an Eve centric one. Okay, we're in Hawthorne, New Hampshire. Young campaign staffer is gone missing. Eve's visiting a friend, except as we said earlier, it turns out to be a friend or a friend, and, and that he's friend, friend. and he's one of the candidates running, and we learned that. He called Eve to help find the missing girl. So so clearly he's got contact with her and knows what she's doing or what she says she's been. I mean, I'm, I'm a little confused there why he decides to call her out of the blue. Well, the, the last that last job she had was counterterrorism, right? Well, true. But so, you know, of course, who else would you get to help out with your campaign yeah but why would he think she's got time to come up and look for a yeah no, i don't know or maybe he knew that she was take. i mean maybe the last thing you heard is she was taking a break from her job and right she would had some free time they probably facebook friend or something you know like, well good point so yeah. well she says you call i come and we learn that his opponent is the fourth generation politician apparently corrupt which is what Den- clearly a Republican. Yeah. <laughs> See, and it wasn't me. Uh, which is what Denning would like to change, right? He wants to get rid of that old boy entrenched political network, and he right. wants to do. Or good. he wants to start his own. Or he wants to start his right. See, you. I, I guess we see him differently, or you're just uh, well, a little no, more jaded. Yeah, yeah, uh, probably, yeah. But, um, but yeah, you know, I just. Like I don't, I don't think there is such a thing as altruism in politics at all. That's why I think it's such so laughable that people are trying to make like 
this presidential race, I'm, 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 I promise we'll get politically, Dave, but just out of like character and like, well, neither of them has character, like because they both had to cut deals and do what they had to do to get where they are. You don't get where you are by being some freaking babe in the woods, you know, like to get things done in politics, you by nature of it, since the first caveman got up to tell the other caveman what to do. You've had to cut deals and, and make concessions, and, and that's the way it works. So if you're looking at someone who's purely altruistic and just has, like, the the good of the people at heart, like, forget about it, you know? So you're saying Sam's a dick. I'd say he's a dick. <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know— I know like, don't, you don't tell me he just wants to help other people straight up and that there's nothing in it for him. There clearly is. Hence the the cute intern that's working for him, right? Right. And he is back in his hometown where he was big man, went away, joined the military, which, as we said, certainly uh, a, a certain level of respect goes with that. But but now he's back and, you know, I'm not saying you're wrong, but what was so awesome is that he's laying it out for Eve what's really going on here and why he called her and then all of a sudden Ezekiel just kind of strolls down outside the window <laughs> and we're like whoa was that Ezekiel and, and then of course she has the same reaction yeah there were more than a couple laugh out loud moments in this uh, I was watching this with my son and there were a couple times where I was just started laughing like an idiot yeah and, um, that, and that was certainly one of them yeah that was one uh, now of course, Jones hacks Denning's phone and knows that he lied about not knowing Brandy. And and again, I guess that kind of lends credence to what you've been saying the last few minutes. I mean, even though he then admits, well, she was digging up dirt on his opponent. Well, okay, that in and of itself, why can't you run a positive campaign? Sure. Aren't you then simply doing but exactly that, what you're accusing your that, opponent? It's just, this is exactly what I was saying, Dave, right? Yeah. So it's not going well for him in Eve's eyes. And you could see the disappointment. And, you know, whether there was ever anything romantic or not, clearly they are, you know, really close friends. And there's some sort of a, you know, really tight bond there. And, and, And she's, you know, it's not going well in her eyes. On the other hand, he's not buying her private security team lie. And I love his line. All right, you got some kid, cute chick, and a guy who looks like he's a bar fighter. Who's lying now, Eve? Yeah. She's like, you think Cassie's cute? <laughs> how, how awesome was that? Like, that's her takeaway, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, but she tells the truth, but it initially goes as expected. He has no oh, other sure. reasonable explanation. And I, I guess I love that approach that you you tell the truth and of course nobody believes you and and you you like well okay which what is that what's it called uh occam occam's razor no the cassandra complex oh right yeah okay i like i I don't i don't think they they actually purposely put that into there but just you know that was what cassandra was in um like jason comes home with her and uh, and she you know, predicts that everyone you know she's going to die, he's going to die, but no one believes her, and that's like her curse, right? Yeah, Medea, woo, booyah! Oh, okay. I, you know, I was going to say, but I don't remember that part oh, of it. Was, I, was it Agamemnon? Yeah, I don't think it was Medea. I used oh, to teach Medea. It was Agamemnon. It was Agamemnon. Okay. Yeah, but it's the same thing, right? right? Jason Wife kills husband. 
Well, well, Medea, uh, Jason tells her that, you know, for the good of their family, he's going to divorce her and marry the young princess. And, right. Right. And then she, said, well, then she takes matters into her kids. own hands. How do you like that? Exactly. So, uh, and then in Agamemnon, it's Clytemestra and she kills Agamemnon and then the kids revenge themselves. So the kids are alive. All right. There we go. We got my Greek drama straightened there out. There we go. We're getting ready to start that uh, later in the week. Nice, uh, Antigone. Uh, yeah. Love it. Yeah. So the question is, did Brandy uncover evil magic? Now, of course, that's what Eve is thinking, uh, but but obviously Denning would think that's absurd. But then again, you know, there were so many good lines in this. And, and you know, you, I said that, well, it's not totally about Eve, but then you you contradicted me. And I think you're probably no, right. I, I, no, 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 no. I, I didn't contradict you. If you said, it's, I, I didn't say it's totally about Eve. It's just, it's Eve-centric. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Right. But then when Jones tells Cassandra that Colonel Baird sees the best in everyone, that's a character flaw. Yeah. And when he says it, you're thinking like, Dude, really? Yeah. But, but, he, but he's not know, wrong. It's, right, right. And it's funny because um, I was just thinking this today that, believe it or not, I, I tend to see the best in, in everyone as well. And my dad, I think, thinks that that is a huge character flaw of mine. I remember a, a guy that I used to work with transferred to school when my dad was still working. And, uh, and I said, oh, yeah, that guy, he's a good guy. And my dad was like, you think everyone's a good guy. And I'm like, is there something wrong with that? You know? <laughs> like, I was like taking it back. I really looked at it like, you know, maybe I just, maybe I, maybe I need to be more judgmental for people. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so. giving people the benefit of the doubt until they prove otherwise. But on the other hand, even I think Colonel Baird, even I think what he's really saying though, is that she sees people that she knows are, yeah, let's say their their integrity is less than a hundred percent, and yet she chooses to see the aspect of them that that really does shine through. And sure. like you said, wh- what's wrong with that? Exactly. But in their totally. business, yeah, it's almost like you have to be on guard all the time. And you would think she would know that. Sure, but but well, well, in the great line when Cassie points out, do you think she even sees the best in you? He's like. Everyone sees the best in me. <laughs> yeah. I'm Ezekiel Jones. You know? <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. Well, she, Baird, that is, sees Cecilman, who's obviously played by Q, on yes. the street. Now, how does she recognize him? She hasn't seen the photo. Oh, because yet. the oh, has she not seen the picture yet? I, see, I'm not sure. I, I didn't think she had, but maybe I'm wrong. So, yeah, uh, I, don't I don't know. All right. Well, but then I like the explanation to Denim. Now I'm uh, Deming about magic. And she says, magic artifacts are like WMDs. Everyone's different. And the timers are always set at 45 seconds. <laughs> and I, I guess that's one of the cool things that we've said many times about the librarians, that at least they don't use the damn digital clock countdown. Right. But yeah. we, we sense that urgency every time they're in a jam. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no question. And then she tells him that magic is a trap and he's seduced by what it could do for him. And, and you know, you start thinking about they face that every day. Sure. And that's, I mean, obviously in, in the end, that's probably like the big theme of this one is the ability to come in contact with 
great power or things that make you powerful um, and to, you know, shun them. Right. And, and you look at the three and obviously Cassie could use it to help cure the tumor, but she doesn't. Stone could use it just to be able to visit, experience all of these historical, well, artistic things. Yeah, I know what yeah. you're going to say. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and also to defeat Prospero, right? Right. That's where he really gets, and that's where, like, Jacob, you can see if someone's going to break, it's going to be Jake thinking about how he could, they could end Prospero. Right. I mean, because Jones, it would be easy to say that the temptation just for monetary gain or just to really prove that he is, in fact, Ezekiel Jones. And right, but, he's but as awesome. we saw before, when he you know he has the cube that can show him where any valuable thing is, he doesn't want to use it. Right. It's too easy. Yeah. It's too easy. Right. Yeah. So, well, Jenkins and Eve try to talk Sam out of letting things happen, and, and then Jenkins tells him, "Well, there are ways of breaking a contract." What is he, a librarian? And then I love Jenkins' answer because. He doesn't exactly know how it, to answer. Yeah, exactly. He does a great John Larroquette kind of hedging. Uh, well, yeah. Well, uh, um, <laughs> kind of like that. It was good. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, never mind. And again, at this point, I'm still thinking, and maybe I'm a dope, that Sam really does want to do good. And then she punches Sam, takes the contract, and Jenkins descends into the manhole. I'm like, okay, that was cool. <laughs> uh now again uh, i keep calling him q cecilman meets eve and sam on the street and we learn that she signed over sam's name absolving him and her plan is to simply run out the clock or so we think at that point i, I love the whole idea of the loophole you know because that's basically what we have here right yeah you know and the whole idea of the contract, you have to make a wish. He tells her she can't win and tells him that, you know, hey, I make plans, exploit the enemy's weakness. And at this point, we, you know, we're thinking militarily, we're thinking Prospero, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're thinking um, Moriarty. But no, she's still got something even better in mind, right? Right. Again, he's not going to go down without a fight, Cecilman, that is. He's a jetliner, tells her, you can try to cheat me, but the plane's going to crash into the square, killing all but three who will be saved by Denning, and then it happens. You know what? I wish you were a human being. He didn't plan on that one. Yeah. Well, like it takes him so, like, he doesn't even stop talking until, like, you know, like, he's, he's white. Well, what? You know, like he's too busy gloating, and then all of a sudden, he when she drops the big wish on him, it's like, boom. Well, and then it was perfect. She taps him on the head with the rolled-up contract. No more destroying things for you. Day officially saved, devil officially vanquished. Yeah, that was a good one. Right. But even better. Oh, my God. There are so many. You know what? I think there are more awesome lines in this episode than usual, and there's usually tons of them. Magic's like a monkey with a loaded AK-47. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's but, a nice one. But he's ready to resume his campaign. 
So, all right. Well, let's back so now without the the mumbo jumbo. Like well, he's going to have to win it. Like honestly, now right? he is going to have to win it honestly. Right. None of this other, no. but of course, so will the other guy. Right. So will the Republican. True. That's true. I I, I do. That's too. All right. So we got the, as we said, the classic Faustian tale. Uh, Stone recognizes the burn mark on the ceiling. Of course he does. As a 17th century glyph, Puritan symbol, meaning the devil. Have you read the crucible yet this year? Uh, We're doing it right now. Uh, Okay. So are we. Um, They're kind of liking it actually. Yeah, I think so. What's not to like? Yeah, I know. I hear you. So even Denning surprised them at the room. And suddenly there's another hole opens and Brandy's dead body falls onto the bed. And, and I'm, I'm thinking like, all right, did no one else see the hole? Because you know, Denning doesn't really react at this point. So we're, we're wondering, you know, why he's so surprised. Well, when, he's, yeah, he's still like doubting that magic exists. And she's just like, um, you just saw a girl fall through a hole in the wall. Right. Yeah. The ceiling. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, 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 you know, look, I, I love Ezekiel Jones. Jenkins is starting to become my favorite character. Uh-oh. I know. I know. Yeah. I don't know what it is. But, you know, so they're back at the library. They they meet with Jenkins, who tells them it means, as you said earlier, a devil, not the devil, tells them the devils come dressed as everything you ever wished for. And, of course, that, that whole idea comes out. And then, gotta love, says... Look for a contract. Stone, of course, brings up Robert Johnson and Crossroads. Yeah. And did you ever see that movie with yes. uh, the Karate Kid? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a pretty good movie. I liked it. Yeah. It's been ages. Okay. All right. Quiz. Quick quiz question. Okay. Who was the Devil's guitar player? Um. Oh, was that Steve Vai? Oh, dude. Booyah! Respect. <laughs> nice. I was a big uh, David Lee Roth fan. So oh, okay. I th- that might be the reason why I saw the movie in the first place. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, I, don't, I don't know if I can go on. I, I'm like stunned. <laughs> That's right. So somebody made a deal with the devil, apparently to kill Brandy, to keep her from revealing what she found. So, okay, well, that makes sense. Of course, who? Uh, we assume his opponent, but we don't have any proof of that. But then Stone and Jenkins start researching Keating's family history. And, and look, we've said many times in various podcasts, various shows, gotta love the old pictures yep. of the, the creepy. Super creepy. Oh, my. And so if that, they weren't creepy before you saw uh, the, the others, then they definitely are after, right? right? So these guys go back to the 17th century. One of the relatives brokered a peace with the Penacook Indians. My dad is from New Hampshire. I've been to Penacook many times. Okay. And, and seen the statues and seen the, the different relics related to that. It's pretty, pretty cool. Now, I know that. My sister went to Dartmouth, so we ah, okay. go when she was there. We'd every summer we'd go up and visit her uh, uh, when she was still up there and yeah. go hiking and stuff like that. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he he grew up there and went to school up in up in New England and cousins live in Massachusetts. So yeah, it's cool. I've been up there quite a bit. It's been a long time, but right. Uh, you know, you were telling me because we were discussing like supporting a team when you're from out of town right? yeah oh that's right that's right you tell me how your dad kind of switched over to the 
to the Orioles, yeah. despite being a, growing Red, up as a Red Sox fan. Yeah, it's still puzzling. But anyway, <laughs> so the town of Hawthorne's apparently a repository for disaster, and every time there's a Keating offering aid, we we start to put the pieces together that, oh, okay, so they come to their aid, and now they're a hero, and then that boosts their self-esteem, and they get votes, and you know, we learn that the Keating family signed that deal with the devil and disaster hits. And again, this is a plot device that I, I guess you could certainly say it's a trope, but it's a trope I like the whole, in this case, 44 years. I'm not sure why 44 is so significant. Yeah, no, they're John Riggins fans. There you go. But one of them is due now. So, so threatening, we learned the enforcement of the contract is going to bring doom on that person. If we can't beat the devil, we beat the deal. Ah, okay. Ah, okay. Another loophole. Yep. And, you know, again, it goes back to Sam. And again, the longer we talk about it, no surprise, this happens frequently. Uh, I'm wondering why Sam is so desperate. How does this work? He wants to know. And I'm still thinking, well, his intentions are pure, but he signs it anyway. Uh, okay. But I don't. I don't think his intentions are pure. I know the bigger the disaster, the bigger the hero. I mean, he's totally willing to to for you know, like to have people are going to die. I know, so he can be a hero. So we have his hero moment. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Speaking of having their moment, I, I guess what I saw a third storyline, and they weren't clearly delineated in this episode the way they are sometimes. But the librarian's progress. Stone suddenly realizes that Jones has access to magic and tools that would allow him to steal whatever he wants, confronts Jones. Jones is, of course, offended, as as you said. It's too easy. He wants to do the impossible. And then Stone taunts him, you're becoming a good guy. Regardless, it's Jones that figures out where the contract is likely hidden. And uh, Well, it's after Jacob says that, uh, Ezekiel hands him his wallet. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. From- well, uh, there was a, that was that was another laugh out loud like an idiot moment. It was, but the other irony in that scene: how does Jones figure out where the contract is hidden? He's pour Just, he's pouring over the architectural blueprints. Right. Well, he explains it, right? Well, it's it's yeah, but it's 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 Jones that figures it out, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah, because he he knows where. It would be the place where it's the most likely place that they would hide it. Yes. So but I like how he says, well, you know, we'd cut out all these buildings because all the buildings built before this. And Jacob holds up the blueprints he had just got. He said, well, I guess that means these are out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, then we uh, cut to a limo pulling up, and, and there's an event that they need to attend. Stones in the driver's uniform lets out Jenkins and Cassandra who are attending the event. And all I got in my notes is Yowza <laughs> green dress. Yeah. Just saying, don't see why I have to be the chauffeur. <laughs> it's right. like, yeah, I kind of do. Yeah. I can't see Jones as the chauffeur or, or Jenkins or Jenkins. Well, Jenkins yeah. is playing. Right. Exactly. He's playing Jacob daddy. The, right. Right. All right, so Cecil. Well, that voice she uses, that was great. Yeah. yeah. Cecilman recognizes Jenkins as they're chatting about champagne. And obviously, he, he knows that he's Galahad and, and knows his history and all of that, which I thought, all right, that, that, 
I like that. That's pretty cool. Do you think your friends found the contract yet? (laughs) (laughs) And then he tells them the closer your friends get to the contract, the contract's going to fight back. And again, one of these things, inanimate objects in the librarians having a life of their own. And we're wondering, okay, is this going to be like Excalibur? The contract's going to be flying through the air, poking them in the eyes or whatever. But of course, that's not what it was, but it was still, uh, I thought, a a clever idea. Right, sure. Well, and they do have like terrible, terrible luck. Yeah. Um, and until they get to the the, the most abysmal luck, where they um, release the gas but get locked into the room. Well, yeah, and and obviously they're they're trying to, to divert the gas to prevent the broken line from exploding, which was of course Cecilman's idea. And then Jones remembers that the contract will turn it on them. To which Stone says, "Occupational hazard," which does not make Jones happy. Right. You know, but yeah, he still goes along with it though. He does. And then when stone can't turn the shutoff wheel alone, I thought, okay, maybe it's a trope again, but it takes the three of them together. Sure. To break it off. And of course we've been talking the last few weeks that, that that's something that they've all had to come to terms with, which is that they're a team and that they, they are, they're not uh, free agents. They're not individuals and right. and obviously that's flynn carson's i don't want to say problem but it's an issue he's going to have to deal with until he well, changes yeah, that, oh, that's how flynn rolls right it, it, it is yeah at least through seasons one and two sure and the movies and the movies okay Cecilman appears as the three of them begin hallucinating from the gas and informs them that what they've done is futile because the power of the contract is simply going to cause another disaster to occur, that Sam needs to be a hero. And then he tries to make a deal with them for their lives. And this is a really poignant scene, maybe the most poignant in the whole episode, you know, because... Right, well, yeah, because we see, you know, that their complete and total commitment... Uh, and their willingness to lay down their lives. Right, right. right. And, and, you know, he continues to try to convince them. And I think it's Jones that speaks up that he clearly has never dealt with a librarian before. And I'm thinking, right. all right, Stone was right. Jones is turning into a good guy. Because mm-hmm. th- because every other instance like this, Jones would be like, well, well let me, I'll think about it. Offers Cassandra health. And then Stone falters, and they all falter momentarily, leading Cecilman to summon a contract so he can have his first librarian. And I guess, well, certainly since he he knows who Jenkins is, he he must have had contact with librarians in the past, but no luck getting one to sign on the dotted line. Right. And then uh, Jenkins gets hit by those falling rocks, and, and, you know, the whole contract cannot kill what cannot be killed. Again, so many lines. Yeah. Yeah, but that even he seems like, I don't know, like Cecilman seemed like a little surprised, I think, or something. Yeah, like by Jenkins at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, but then we get to the end and, you know, we're back at the library and, and I love that that scene, the three cots set up side by side as Jenkins is treating their gas poisoning and then I, I guess because he has to go back and reflect on that question that Cecilman asked him, or, or no, I'm sorry, was it Sam that asked him if he's a librarian? Uh, yeah, it was Sam. And he tells Eve that he always considered himself more of a caretaker than anything, even in the old days. 
But, mm-hmm. you know, now this big reveal that Jenkins tells Eve that the Guardian's job is not to protect the librarian's body, but to protect their soul. Right. And you knew it was coming, and it didn't matter. It was just such a great line. Sure. Such a great idea. Sure, yeah. And it's what they've been touching on the, the whole episode, this idea of, again, having all this implements of tremendous magical power all around you and to not be tempted to use them for your own uh, you know, ends. Well, well, really not give in to the temptation. They're going to be tempted. Right, right, but right, to not give in to the temptation. Right, because they're human. And then that line where he says the guardian's job is to save the librarian's soul, and you did that admirably today. Just, wow. I mean, you know, if I had a heart, I'd probably have a tear. (laughs) No, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, just, uh, look, again, who doesn't love a good Faustian tale? Because it, you know, who doesn't think about that, right? What uh, would you give this up to get that? Right, right, exactly. And I think most of us would at least listen to the offer. Yeah, it's your sales pitch. Yeah, yeah. Might not, might not take you up on it, but uh, I'll listen. Yeah, well, and then you know, like Faust, it's just like kind of like a microcosm for what happens every day in the real world. How many times do we make deals with ourselves, with other people, make compromises? You know that we sell a part of our soul to achieve our end. I mean, that's what, again, going back to politics, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No question. But uh, great episode. Um, By forgetting anything you think is important to bring up? I don't think so. Uh, Oh, oh, oh. oh, Okay. All right. So the the one scene, which is another laugh out loud scene where uh, Jenkins is on the upper level of the library, he's throwing books down, and uh, you know, Ezekiel and Jake are catching the books, but Cassie's stepping in like like she wants to catch a book, but then you know, one of the boys catches it and she kinda of turns away and then she tries again and she turns away. It's just I love oh, that's it. really funny. Yeah. Your your sons did they used to do that to the girls? That kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Still do. Still do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well a- Oh, and Okay. Jake using the Koopa Chabra to make jerky. <laughs> that yeah. was not what I thought he was going to say right. when he starts bringing up the Chupacabra, which my first experience was, was in an X-Files episode way back in the day. I think oh, okay. even season one, maybe. But uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. So when um, when the, the librarians are reunited with Jenkins, he said, oh, you escaped. I thought we'd lost you for good this time. <laughs> you know, like he almost sounds like a little hopeful there. You know? <laughs> well, every time they come back, he's at one, two, three. And then uh, the, the one episode, uh, he has to give Eve the money. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that, right, right. Because he bet yeah. against them. And, and then while we're talking about this, sorry, to keep this, that was just I remember, like that, that really protective type parental almost way that Eve and Jenkins are taking care of the the other three at the end there, I thought was really neat too. Yeah. Well, I, and I think that's one of the things I just love so much about Jenkins is that the, the, this nobility about him that I think the, the three librarians, I don't know if it's that I still think they're a little bit too young to have earned that nobility. I mean, they're certainly on the path and, and certainly Eve 
I just think by nature of what it is she does, again, she might get there someday. I mean, she's certainly older, but but it's just something about Jenkins that that just I don't know. It just really really grabs me. Well, I, I mean, I think John Larroquette is an amazing actor, and um, uh, in this role, he's just you know he just knocks out of the park every week and everything. He but does. I think like, that mixture of like he's kind of an action hero sometimes and he's the sage at other times and like at the end of this one he's just he's like dad yeah right yeah and and we've seen him in that role before and and i i figure we probably will see him sure again in that role yeah maybe so all right well let's wrap it up there uh, i'm gonna go straight a okay. i'm gonna wrap it up like the landing moon forest the moon landing wasn't real not that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah just, there's just too many good lines right? I, I too know. many good lines you know uh, dave will you stop doing air quotations all right there i'm done i'm done okay <laughs> no you're not oh yeah well i got one more but i'm saving it for the very end okay all right well what are you gonna giving it for a grade an a for sure man this okay. is a great one okay i loved it straight right. a, not a plus leave that for like the the santa's midnight rides but uh this was definitely a material yeah. So, uh, so we're getting close, uh, you know, season threes, you know, we, we, we can, we can see it over the, over the more than a fortnight away. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. Love to hear from you with follow-ups about the librarians episodes and, and, you know, maybe what your thoughts are about season three as it approaches. Um, I'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. If you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the speak pipe tab, which you can access through the website. We'll be back next week to discuss season two, episode seven, the librarians and the image of image. But until then. So Dave, you might not believe, but I actually went to a big Republican rally the other day and I actually got to talk to the Donald. Like I walk around and I was talking to him. It's like, Hey, what's going on? Good luck, buddy. You know, like I had my, make america great hat on and you know my red white and blue jacket and everything and you know, he, he said the strangest thing he leaned up to me he said after this i'll be lucky to be elected janitor i saw a lot of